turn to the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8 and several other passages this morning. Um, as we gather here today, I know that you've already been in prayer. There are six other churches that are doing the same series of messages that we are, that are meeting right now, and, and uh, keep them in prayer that God would speak to them. So uh, although they're probably not getting the exact same message, they're getting the, the same text and everything. So um, I missed you all last week. Somebody say, were you gone last week? No. Uh, I was over at the Christian Center last week in wonderful church. They, they were very welcoming, and, and I understand you guys were pretty welcoming to Todd. He, he was, uh, you got a little bit of a change there. I listened to the sermon. I know all the things that he said and stuff, so uh, you don't have to tell on him. I know. Uh, but it, it was really something special is happening in this community when you, th- when you really think about it, when you have these... Uh, these right now eight churches and looks like uh, uh, North Chapel has a new pastor and they will be joining in with us. Praise God. Uh, Harvest Harvest Chapel is about to have a new pastor uh, uh, and and looks like they will be joining in with us also. So we're seeing God move in a great way. Keep praying about that. And, And again, Jesus is the center of this all. The word is the basis for everything that we do. Just pray that God will build a mighty church here in, in Fountain Hills. I told Christian Center last week that, that our church wants to be their biggest fan. And I want you to do that. I want you to be the biggest fan of these other Bible-believing churches in town. When God blesses them, we are thrilled to death about that. So we're not in competition. We're walking side by side with one another, lifting up Jesus. So we continue today in, our ser- in, in this brief series on We Are In This Boat Together. And today what I want to talk to you or share with you about is the fact that, that in this boat, which we might call life, uh, in this sea, which we might call life, it is, it is Jesus who has promised to calm the storms. Now, in just saying that he promises to calm the storms, I hope you understand something. That is, there is the reality of the storms of life. Life is not always easy. Would you agree with that? Things don't always run smooth. We don't always get, we don't always get good reports and and I was thinking about this as I was preparing for this, for this passage and, and, and the pictures that, that Joan had him put up there of, of the Holy Land. Also, uh, you saw the Sea of Galilee in one of those pictures. Four times I've been on the Sea of Galilee. Every time the experience has been pretty similar. It, the Sea of Galilee, if you think about it, most of Jesus' ministry was done around the Sea of Galilee. Most of his miracles were done around the Sea of Galilee. Very, he would go to Jerusalem at the appointed times when he needed to be in Jerusalem, but most of his ministry, most of his miracles, most of his messages were done up around the Sea of Galilee. So much so that when he finally came to Jerusalem for the last time, the religious leader says, well, this can't be the Messiah because there's no prophecy of a Messiah coming from Galilee. They didn't even realize that he didn't actually come from Galilee. He actually came from Judea, from, 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 from a, a city called Bethlehem, which is about five miles from the city of Jerusalem. But the Sea of Galilee is a wonderful picture for me of life. The picture you saw there of the Sea of Galilee is one we all like. You know, it's a smooth as glass. You know, every time I've gotten on the Sea of Galilee on the little, little boat that they take you on, that's how it starts. In the early morning, or it, it, it's, it's like glass. It's, it's just so nice. Oh, this is, good. this is a great day to be out on the Sea of Galilee. Now, when we call it a sea. For us, really, we would say it was a, a lake. Actually, uh, the Romans called it Lake Tiberius. All right, but it's called the Sea of Galilee. And uh, 
Uh, just above it is the headwaters of the Jordan River. They feed into the, into the Sea of Galilee. They go from the Sea of Galilee, and they go down what we know as the main Jordan River, and that empties into a, another sea that's called the Dead Sea. Okay? Well, you get out on the Sea of Galilee, picture there, and that's what it looks like. You say, oh, this is going to be a great day. Well, you get out there, and every time it happens, you're out there for about an hour, you're finally out there in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and all of a sudden it looks, well, that's kind of comical, but it looks a lot more like that. Last time we were out there, chairs were flying everywhere. My wife was flying over here. Um, I've been on there before where, where I'm trying to read the Bible, and the, and the water's come up, and it, and it just soaks my Bible. It's just, it's an incredible thing. So to me, when you think about that, it's, life is like that. Sometimes it, it's smooth as glass, and we like it when it's like that. But the reality of life is it's not always as smooth as glass. Sometimes it's filled with turmoil. Sometimes it's very, very rocky. And for we who are Christians, we need to understand. It's hard, especially when we're in the midst of it, that Jesus is the Lord of the good times and Jesus is the Lord of the hard times, of the rough times. He doesn't change because the circumstances change. He doesn't change just because, and, he, and, he, and he, here's, the, here's the neat thing. I'm going to talk about his presence this morning, and I, don't, I want you to get this thought. Jesus doesn't run out on us. Jesus doesn't run out on us. And, you know, with, with the way the world is today, that's kind of hard for us to really conceive. It seems like everybody runs out on us in the world today. People are with us for a little while. Times get tough, and they say, well, I'm not going to be there any longer. But Jesus never runs out on us. He is ever present in our life. And that's his promise for us. I will always be with you, Jesus says. I will never leave you, Jesus says. I will never forsake you, is what Jesus says. Now, from our perspective, we say, well, Lord, if you're here, why am I going through this? Right? Why do I have to face this? Why is time hard? Why, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my body? Why is this happening to my mind? What is it, why is this happening to my emotional state? Why am I going through this if you are here? And let me give you a quick answer. It is the result of sin. And I want you to know this. I'm not calling, I'm not, I don't want you to carry this to, to say, uh, hear me saying, I'm talking about personal sin, why people go through hard things. We are in a sin-fallen world. And we today yet wait for the redemption, the full redemption of this world. Paul in the book of Romans says that the, that, that the world itself groans, waiting for that full redemption. When you think about what happened, man fell into disobedience against God, and they sinned. And it not only impacted humanity, but the Bible makes it very clear it impacted even the animal kingdom. And it goes on to say it impacted even the ground that you and I will work, was affected by sin. And from that time on, we were all born into sin, except for one. His name was Jesus. And our bodies and our lives and our very existence have to deal with the reality of sin. But the point is that we have a God who loves us, a God who's filled with grace and mercy, and in the perfect time, in his perfect time, he sent his son Jesus to pay the price for our sin. And the day will come, here's what the promise is. The day will come when we will leave this world that's impacted by sin 
and enter into a glorious world where there is no more pain and no more suffering, no more sickness, no more death, no more saying goodbye, no more anything that is contrary to God and contrary to us. That's the promise that we have from God in Christ Jesus eternally. But in this temporal world, as you and I deal with life itself, we have the promise of his presence. And I want you to get that this morning. That's going to be the theme of my message this morning. The presence of Christ in your life. What does that mean? Or what can it mean for you and for me? I don't know how lost people deal with life. I really don't know. I've walked through many things with lost people. I've, I've begged at the, at the bedside of those who don't know Jesus only to see them go into eternity without Jesus. I've sat with families and I've prayed with families knowing that that family knew that that family member... 90% of it was that they knew that he, that person was not going to go into eternity and be with God. Where's the hope? What can you offer at that time? The world is searching. That's why we have so many religious groups. That we, that's why we have so many, so many self-help groups. Every kind of group out there to tr- for a man to try to find his way. And yet they all will leave them, them wanting. We who are believers, we who know Jesus Christ as our Savior... Though we face everything that lost people face, we never, ever have to face it alone. I guess it would be nice if God was this magic genie that when we had something come in our life, we could just say, God, fix this, and he fixed it every time. And there are those who teach such a theology. They don't find that theology in the Bible. They find it in their hopes. And and, and we all have those hopes. Something happens to us, we pray, God, please do something. And yes, God sometimes does things and he fixes things. But there are other times where God says, no, I'm not going to do this. And like he said to the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, my grace is sufficient for you. When you are going through something hard and difficult, he doesn't love you any less even if he doesn't take you out of that. I want you to know that. Because in the midst of all that, he is ever-present. He is there. He is literally calming the storm. And I want you to hear that. He's calming the storm when sometimes from our own vantage point, we don't think he's calming the storm. We don't see it. But I believe in a Jesus who always calms the storm for those who are his followers. And sometimes he takes us out of that, and sometimes he walks with us through it. But in the midst of all of it, Jesus is calming the storm. So let's break this down this morning. Put your Bibles, Matthew chapter 8. Look at verses 23 through 27 with me. Here's what he says. He says, now when he got into the boat, that's Jesus. When Jesus got in the boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. This is the Sea of Galilee he's speaking of here. But he was asleep. So... The storm comes, and where's Jesus? Jesus is asleep. Then the disciples came to him and awoke him and say, Lord, and said, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a, calm, there was, there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Christ's presence for us as as his children, is a promise of his protection. Now, what these 
men could not see initially, and I'm not quite sure they saw it even at the end of this scenario, is that Christ's presence was the promise of their protection. No matter what happened that day. What if the waters would have tore that boat apart? What if they would have been cast into the sea? What if they would have drowned in the waters? Would Christ's presence be any less? Would his protection be any less? Sometimes we evaluate Christ's presence and his protection by the outcome that we assume needs to happen. You see, God, I'm glad you're here. Prove yourself to me that you're here by making what I'm going through what I want it to be. You see, when, G- when these disciples woke Jesus from his sleep, what was his response? His first response was, Oh, you of little faith. Basically, what's wrong with you? I am here with you. And I have not gone anywhere. And regardless of what's going to happen, I will protect you. Jesus answers their call. He calms the sea. And then you see their response. And I would say to you, this is the common response of even we who are Christians. When we call out to God, when we call out to our Savior, and He does what we want Him to do, automatically we, we attribute to Him more, more deity, more glory, more magnificence than if He didn't do it. In other words, we find ourselves, if we're not careful, judging Jesus by His performance for us. But then what do we do when Jesus doesn't perform the way that we think he ought to perform for us. Is he, is he any less God? Is he any less present? Is he any less our protector? From our vantage point, we would say yes. Jesus, if you would have just taken care of this, everything would have been okay. Jesus, if you would just remove this from me, then I'll believe and I'll trust you and I'll, and I'll praise your name. We find ourselves in a relationship with Jesus that is more based on a utilitarian view than based on biblical faith. Do you understand the two differences there? Maybe. What is the utilitarian view of Christ? As long as he does what I want him to do, then he's Christ. As long as he does what I hope he would do and what, I, what I've decided he needs to do, then I'll praise him. It's a utilitarian view. In other words, he's there to do what we want him to do. And we'll sing praises to him and we'll worship him and we'll believe him as long as he does what he what we think he needs to do. But what if it's in God's plan not to do what you and I think he should do? If we have a utilitarian view of Christ and all of a sudden we say, well, he must not be able. He must not be Christ. He must not be everything that he claims to be. Because if he were, he would do such and such. How many of you besides me have ever approached Christ that way? Think about it. We do. But when we approach him from, a, from the basis of faith, then, then we open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit speaking to our heart and working in our heart to remind us that Christ is ever-present, that Christ is our protector regardless of of what the outcome of the situation we find ourselves in. You understand you are an, an eternal being in Christ Jesus. Amen? When you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you went from death, spiritual death, 
unto spiritual life. You entered a whole new realm. You're a new, you're a new creature, the Bible says, in Christ Jesus. You're not meant for the temporal only, but you are meant for the eternal. And it is true that eternally, every promise of God, you can take to the bank. But I don't know and I don't believe, and listen to me, I, I believe Jesus can heal anybody he wants to heal. I believe Jesus can turn any, any situation around that he wants to turn around. I believe he can make everything right for us. But I don't know in this temporal world that we have, I just don't believe we have the right to demand him to do such. You say, then, Pastor, why doesn't he do it? If he can, why doesn't he do it? Can I ask? I'll just be honest with you. I don't know. I don't know. And when someone tells you they know, they don't know. There are some answers this side of heaven we will never receive. Except the answer is to trust God to be God in every situation and every circumstance. And to trust the fact, as it's displayed here on the Sea of Galilee, that Christ's presence means for we who are followers of Christ, that we have his protection. Let's suppose, well, I believe that Jesus Christ, when he promised us that where two or three gathered in his name, he would be, be there also. How many of you are here in Jesus' name this morning? Okay, we got more than two or three. That's cool. So if that's true, then Jesus is here. Let's suppose a nut walks in that door. I'm not pointing at you, Ron, back there right now. Well, let's suppose a nut walks in that door, and it's happened before, and takes a pistol and shoots. I'll say me, so none of you get hit, okay? Did Jesus Was Jesus not here? Was Jesus' hand of protection somehow lifted off if something like that were to happen? You see, from our perspective, we would say yes, but, but the answer is the answer is no. It is the eternal promise of our Savior that he will always be with us. And no matter where we go or what we do, we're in his protective hand. And even if it costs us our life, he never releases us from his protective hand. Oh, that I would have the faith to believe that. And trust him. In the midst of things that at times we go through, and from our heart we might actually say, Lord, where are you? And I'm not putting this down on anybody else because we all do it. We find ourselves in the midst of things and we say, Lord, where are you? And he wants to, he wants to say to us, just like he said to his disciples on the Sea of Galilee, I'm right here. Have faith. Have faith. When circumstances go bad, have faith when you cannot see how the end is going to end up good for you. Have faith because I am here. And Christ's presence in the life of his children means his protection. It always means his protection. The world thinks that the, the, world thinks that the worst they can do for us is kill us. You realize that. Let's just take them out. How is it? How is putting off this bodily body of flesh that you and I have, we who are in Christ, how's that a bad thing? Say, Pastor, I don't want to rush it. And then, you know, we, 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 we kind of do this, you know. We, I'm, I know where I'm going when I die, 
So I'm not afraid of that, but I'm kind of a little bit afraid of how I'm going to get there. Here's what we have. Hear what Jesus was trying to say to his disciples. I am here with you. Just have faith. And for us, for you and for me, whatever we're in the midst of, when we can't find the answers, when nobody can give us the answers, when our own minds cannot comprehend the answers, when we wish things were a little bit different, may we see the same and hear the same promise from the same Savior. I am there with you, and I will be present with you, and I am your protector. I am always your protector. The presence of Jesus for we who are Christians means that we have his protection. The second thing I want to share with you, and I ask you to go over to Matthew chapter 14. And look with me in verses uh, verses 25 to 33. Christ's presence not only means that he is our protector, but Christ's presence is our promise of salvation. Christ's presence is our promise of salvation. Matthew chapter 14. Again, we find ourselves on the Sea of Galilee. And this, again, may be very familiar to you. By the way, how many of you believe Jesus literally walked on water? How about Peter? Well, for a little bit. Okay? We're on the Sea of Galilee again. Let's see what it's recorded for us. Verse 25 says, Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the water. The disciples were in the boat. Jesus came walking on the water toward the disciples. It says, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Now, don't be mean to them about this. You would probably think the same thing. When's the last time you saw someone walking on the water toward you? Okay? Verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, some people want to get mean to Peter also. Don't be mad at Peter. He's the only one that said, Lord, if it's you, let me walk on the water. Nobody else got out of the boat. Okay? So, verse 30, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous, He was afraid and began to sink, and he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they had got in the boat, the wind had ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, one of the things that I find interesting at the end of each one of these scenarios that I've given you and I think we can understand it. In each one of these things, Jesus revealed himself to the disciples. At the end of each one of these scenarios, the disciples come to, oh, you are the Son of God. Let's worship you. You keep reading in the book, you find out that, oh, though they make these little statements, oh, you are the Son of God, let's worship They continue to have doubt. They continue to struggle. They continue not to believe. In this passage, though, we see that the presence of Christ meant salvation for, G- for, for, for Peter. And for you and for me, I want you to know that the presence of Christ means salvation for us. Okay? The presence of Christ means salvation for us. You saw the, you read the picture, the, the, the word with me. Peter, Jesus came walking on the water. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, let me come out to you. He comes out to, to Jesus, and all of a sudden, 
the sea changes again. That which was, again, like glass changed to being very rough waters. And Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus and begins to look at his circumstances. Oh, how like Peter we are. We, we have a tendency in the midst of circumstances and situations and hard times even to look more at those things than to look at the Savior. How many of you believe you're in the hand of Jesus or the hand of God? Do you understand that that's the safest place for you to be? How many of you believe that there is nothing or nobody greater than God? Okay. Now, if that's the case, you're in the hand of God and there's nobody or nothing greater than God. What could ever touch you or touch me that he didn't first allow to happen? So our situation and our circumstance is not a surprise to God. It's not a surprise to him. In saying that, I'm not saying that God is detached from us as, as if saying it doesn't matter to him. What I am saying to you is, is that, that God is well aware of what we're going through. He knew what we would be going through before we ever started going through what we're going through. And he has promised us his presence in the midst of what we have to go through. And that presence means that whatever we have to go through, not only is he protect, our protector in those things, but he is our savior in those things. You say, well, pastor, I know he saved me when I, when I was 16 years old or so. I'm not talking about salvation in that sense right now. Because that's not, the, that's not even the sense that Peter was talking about salvation when he was going under the water there on the Sea of Galilee. That salvation is important. But even more than that, Jesus is not just my Savior in the past tense. Jesus is my Savior in the present tense. And Jesus is my Savior in the future tense. I have been saved. I am daily being saved. And the day will come when I will understand and, 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 and experience the fullness of my salvation. I don't need a Savior just one time for one event in my life. And too often we evangelicals think that's what it's all about. Just trust Jesus. Just make that statement of faith in Jesus. And every, that's, all, that's all you have to do. And that's it. And you got your ticket punched to heaven and you're okay. We need to teach our people of our, of our desperate need of a Savior Every day, every hour, every moment of that day. Jesus' presence in your life, Jesus' presence in your life is the promise of a Savior who is there to save you every day. Every moment of that day. Do you understand what I'm talking about here? There's not a time that we do not need a Savior. There's not an event that we do not need a Savior in. There's not a circumstance that we're going to go through that we don't need a Savior. Not in the past tense, but in the very present tense. You understand that when God saved you through Jesus Christ, He didn't just sit down after that and say, okay, now you've got to do the best you can till I call you home. Again, there are so many evangelicals that really think that's the way it works. God saved me. Then I'm gonna, then God sat down, he took his hands off, and then I, 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 I'll do the best that I can. When Jesus saved you, when God saved you through his son Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit 
entered you. He indwelt you to give you the life of God in every moment, every instant, every circumstance from that point forward. And as much as you and I needed Jesus at that moment that we responded to the call unto salvation for, for, for forgiveness of our sin and to become a child of God, as much as we needed Him to be Savior that day, we need Him to be Savior every day, every moment of every day. Christianity, as I've said many times, is not our, our effort to try to live the best that we can. Without the presence of God through the Holy Spirit, through the Spirit of Christ, you and I cannot live the Christian life. It's an impossibility for us. His presence means the promise of our salvation. Paul put it this way. His Spirit, that is God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are the very children of God. His presence, listen, that's what he's saying. His presence in you. Christ's presence to the Holy Spirit in you is what bears witness with you that you are the very children of God. His presence is the promise of a Savior. And so when we sing about our salvation, when we sing about our Savior, so often it's merely in the past tense. And we need to move that to the present, if you will, the past, the present, and the ongoing tense, if you will. He is our Savior. And His presence is that promise that you have a Savior. Listen, if Jesus, our Savior, ever took His hands off of you, if He ever moved away from you, if the Holy Spirit moved out from you, if that's possible to happen, then in that instant, you would not be saved. In that instant, you would lose your salvation. In that instant, you would be on your own once again. And on our own, do you understand that we are not acceptable to God? But the promise of His presence reminds us that we have a Savior. Jesus was on that water, and Peter was on that water. Peter starts to sink because he takes his eyes off of Jesus, looks at the, at the turbulence, and he takes his eyes off of Jesus. <coughs> but in the midst of sinking and in the midst of turbulence, who did Peter know was there with him? Who did he know was there with him? He didn't call out to the others in the boat, Hey, throw me a life preserver. Someone help me from the boat. That's not what he said. In the midst of all that, he knew who was there with them. And he knew who could save him. So Peter cries out, Lord, save me. And daily, we must recognize, as a people of faith, we have a Savior who has saved us and who is daily saving us and who will save us. His presence is a promise of our salvation. Listen, my Christian brother and sister, have you ever got yourself in the circumstance since you were born again where you had to call out to Jesus? I mean, I know you probably weren't walking on water and about to sink and go under. If you can do that, 
I'll sell tickets to it, okay? But have you ever, by your own taking your eyes off of Jesus, by your own going back into the flesh, by your own going back into the world, by your by you or I thinking that, that we can do this on our own? Have you ever got yourself where you are sinking in the mire of your own decisions and maybe even your own disobedience to God and you found yourself where you had to look again to your Savior and say, Lord, save me. Lord, help me. Lord, rescue me. Of course you have. We all have. And you know what I, what I believe when, we, when I talk about that? The reason you are willing to call out to the Lord is because you belong to him. You may have got away from him. You may have made decisions that, that weren't right. You may, have made, you may have been disobedient to him. But you called out to him because you knew him. And you knew that he was there just the same way that Peter knew that Jesus was right there on the Sea of Galilee. And only Jesus could reach down and pull him out, out of that water. Christ's presence, church, is a promise of our salvation. So we think about this. His presence is a promise of our protection. And his presence is a promise of our salvation. Now a third thing. Go back to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is in the middle part of a portion of Scripture that we call the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 25 through 34. And as I read this, I want you to think about it this way. Christ's presence is the promise of our provision. Everybody got that? Christ's presence is the promise of our provision. I want to even take it a little bit further. Christ is our provision. Christ's presence is the promise of our provision. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus speaking here, starting at verse 25, and here's what he says. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Well, that's a hard one. Do not worry about your life. What will you eat or what will you drink? Nor about your body, what you'll put on it. Is not life more than food and a body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which, is, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And here's that little statement of Jesus again. Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Everybody, look at that last part. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Now, before I read on, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And God is not detached from us. Did you get what I just said? God is not detached from us. He's not untouched by the feelings of our infirmities. He's not untouched by the needs that we have. He knows, and not only does he know, he cares, for God loves you. And so Jesus says these words, verse 33, for us. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will, will worry about its own things. Sufficient today is its own trouble. Verse 33 is this key verse that reminds us that Christ's presence is a promise 
of our provision. Our Heavenly Father knows what we need. And He cares about that. And so often what blocks us from receiving the provision of God is that we are more focused on what we think our need is than, as Jesus would say, than responding to Him by faith and trusting Him to know what we need. Do you believe that God is aware of where you're at right now? Does he, you, or do you believe that he knows what you're going through, good, bad, or whatever? Do you believe that God literally knows what your need is? Jesus warns his followers, don't become so focused upon things that you begin to worry about those things. Because you understand, as Jesus tried to tell us here, that worry is useless. Worry does nothing. I'm going to say this to some of you who think, that your spiritual gift is worry, it's not. It's not. Our Savior told us not to worry about these things. Worry causes us to take our focus off of Jesus and put our focus upon the things that we're, that we're worried about. Faith allows us, what a great thing faith is, it allows us to keep our, our focus upon Jesus in the midst of all the things that we may go through. And once again, our God who loves us, who cares about us, he's not unaware of what you're going through, and he's not untouched by what you're going through, and he, he is concerned, and he cares for you. But Jesus tells us that our call is to seek first his kingdom. And our call is to seek first his righteousness, to keep our eyes focused upon him. And then the promise is, all these other things shall be added unto you. Now, this is not a prosperity gospel in the way that you hear it preached so often on TV and radio today. But it is a prosperity gospel from a biblical perspective. That is, our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You know, I, I always love the thought, I've said this a hundred times, so you probably get tired, but I, I love the thought, you know, we think that gold is the in thing, the it thing, get your gold and stuff. And I remind you that gold in heaven is asphalt. You're going to be walking all over it. He's not poor. He's not unable. He's not impotent. He is able to do all things. He is able. Again, we say, then why doesn't he? From our perspective. Because he's also sovereign. And he also has a plan. A great plan for each one of us. But it doesn't diminish his glory. It doesn't diminish his ability. It doesn't diminish his love for you. It doesn't diminish his grace or his mercy. When we think about Christ's present, Christ does not just provide for us. Listen to me, church. Christ is our provision. He is our provision. We want to attach things to God providing for us. When the reality is that Christ is, is our provision. And you know, some of you have been on mission trips, mission field, where people didn't have much more than Christ. They didn't know if they were going to eat that day. They didn't know where they were going to sleep that day. They didn't know if they had clothes to put on that day. Yet some of these precious souls have such a faith in Christ that it shames me. 
Because so often we Americans base our faith on Christ and what, on what he provides rather than the fact that he is our provision. Oh, that, and I say this not wanting to have to go through the experience because I'm, I'm, I don't want to go through the experience, but oh, that we would have the faith of Job. Though he slay me, yet I'll praise him. Job kept his faith when he lost his kids. He lost all of his wealth. He lost his health. And listen, if you read that book, you, you realize he had no promise that any of it would be brought back to him again. You read the end of the book and you see God gave him much more than was taken away. But when you need to understand that when Job was going through what Job was going through, he didn't know that was going to happen at the end. For Job, only God became his provision. And the reality is that Christ's presence for us is our provision. He is the one who provides because he is the provision that has been given to us from our, from our Heavenly Father. Would you still have faith if everything was taken away? Let's say the tide turns in our country. And all of a sudden, your faith and my faith, the biblical faith, becomes illegal. That seems so far-fetched anymore, does it, folks? There was a few years ago I'd say that people say, oh, it's... Yeah, yeah. Put on your tin cap, Pastor, because, you know, keep the conspiracies coming from you. It doesn't seem so far-fetched anymore. It doesn't seem so far-fetched that our laws could be changed relatively easily. Where that which we say and that which we preach actually becomes hate speech, which puts us at, at, as enemies with the state, and they begin to pull all kinds of things. Oh, they can't do that. We have the Constitution. You haven't realized yet that many in Washington don't care about the Constitution. You don't realize that. You better wake up. They don't care about the Constitution. Everything could change very quickly. My question is, when the comfort leaves... When the things that we have that, that, that we can say, thank you, God, for this blessing, and because you have blessed me so, God, I worship you. When those things leave, will we still worship him? Will we still gather as the body of Christ? Where will we have to gather to praise him? Or will we say, Lord, why did you let this happen to us? Why did you take these things away from us? Why the build, this beautiful building you give us is gone, the comfort, the, the air conditioning, all these things are gone. Why? why? Will we say, God, where are you? Or will we be a people of faith, contrary to what Jesus said to his father, oh, you a little faith. Will we be a people of faith that we realize that it's not the things. It's not the things. It's him. Christ is our provision. I don't want those things to happen. Listen to me, church. I don't want those things to happen. I don't even know if I want my faith tested that way. I don't think I do. But I pray that the body of Christ is still the body of Christ when all the things are taken away. And I believe deep in my heart that if the Lord tarries, that's what's going to happen. You cannot deny, even this great country that we live in, you cannot deny Christ. You cannot deny God generation after generation after generation. Until you finally get to that generation who, who are leading this country, who have no concept of God, who are contrary to God, 
who hate God and hate everything that's godly, what do you think they're going to do? They're not going to say, bless the church. You already hear the echoes of it. Why don't they pay taxes? Let me ask you this. How many of you in here pay taxes? That should do the end of that argument. It's craziness. Will the church be the church when all the trappings of the modern church are gone? Will we still praise his name? Will we still worship him? Will we still have faith when all of it is taken away? Only if we know that his presence is our provision. He literally is everything we need. So if they take things away, I'm okay because I have Jesus. And it stops being a little cliche that we say, and it becomes a reality of who we are. And we have brothers, listen, I'm going to say it again, we have brothers and sisters in this world today that that is their daily reality. They don't have anything else. And the state stands against them. And if the state found out that they were followers of Christ, the state would actually kill them. Some of the Islamic state, it is against the law not to be Islamic. And you can lose your life because of it. I pray that we learn that Christ is our provision. Last thing, and I'll close after this. When we talk about Christ's presence, it all boils down to this little last statement. It ties everything together. Christ's presence. Listen, Christ's presence is our promise. Christ's presence is our promise. Go to John chapter 16 and verse 33. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, well, I'm going I'm to go up. I'm going to go up to verse 31. Jesus said to them, do you now believe? Verse 32. Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has come that you will be scattered each to his own, and will leave me alone, and yet I will not be alone, because my Father is with me. Now verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. He's saying that my presence in you is God's promise for you. In me, he says, or excuse me, in the world you will have great tribulation. But in me, you will be overcomers. One last verse, Hebrews chapter 13. And look with me at verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself said, God himself said what? I will never leave you nor forsake you. What has God promised us? He has promised us his presence. His presence, his very presence is our promise. When you think of Moses, and God took him through all these different journeys and stuff, He's out there in the wilderness, and, 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 and there's an occasion where 
where he's seeking the Lord and he wants, he wants to be where God is. And he makes this great statement. He says, he says basically, and I'll paraphrase, he says, I don't want to go anywhere where your spirit or your presence does not go also. I don't want to be anywhere where your presence is not. I don't want to do anything that your spirit is not involved in. And once again, he reminds us of the promise of his presence. In the Great Commission, what does Jesus say? He says, for us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And what's the last part of that? And lo, I am what? I am with you always, even to the end of the age or the world. Even to the end. Christian, church, our promise from God is his presence. And in him, everything else flows. Everything else comes. You ever thought about heaven? You ever thought about heaven? What it's going to be like? Anybody have anybody in heaven they want to see? Mom, dad, grandparents, siblings. I do. But I'm convinced that the greatest thing about heaven is the experience of the full presence of our Savior. I'm also becoming more and more convinced in this life that the greatest gift he gave us as his children is a promise that he's always with us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And because he is ever present in my life and in your life, we have every promise of God. That's what Paul said. In Christ Jesus, every promise of God is what? Is amen. Is amen. And because he's present... That is our promise. I ask you to bow your head with me this morning. We sometimes as human beings want to evaluate God's presence and his power and his purpose in our life the way the world does. The moment we think we have it all figured out, we find out that we don't. Over and over again in our passages today, Jesus talked about faith faith you and i responding to god because he is god and because he's there he's present and he's present in the smooth good times he's god and he's present in the hard rough times when we don't like what's going on and we have no say about what's going on but he doesn't leave us but in each occasion he calls us to respond as a people of faith Lord, I trust you. Lord, I believe you. Lord, I put my my life, my soul, my eternity, and even today and tomorrow, I put those in your hand. And Jesus, thank you for the promise of your presence in the midst of a life that's filled with a lot of rough waters. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for everybody who's gathered here today, and I pray, Lord, that as we have gathered, that you have spoken to our hearts. 
that you've given us hearts that have received what, what you have said to us. And now, Lord, as we have an opportunity to respond to you, may we respond to you in a way that brings glory to your name. And I pray this in Jesus' name.